There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to Switched on Pop. I'm musicologist Nate Sloan, and with my co-host Charlie Harding off in Parentville, it means we get to bring on another all-star co-host, and today I am very pleased to welcome none other than Megan Lubin, our very own producer. Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Nate. Megan, you're here because you have a burning musical question, an artist that you cannot get out of your brain. Who is that and why can't you stop listening to them? I do. It's an artist that a lot of listeners might know about already. She's certainly somebody that you know we've been talking about on the show behind the scenes a lot. I've been waiting to tackle. Her name is Rosalia. And the reason I want to talk to you about Rosalia is because of a really specific experience that I had listening to a song of hers. Yeah. Take us there. Yeah. Paint the scene. Great. Great. Yeah. What time of day is it? Um, You know, it's golden hour. Mm-hmm. I'm in my hometown of Hood River, Oregon. Oh, I can see it now. Yeah. yeah. It's gorgeous. There's mountains there. Yeah. I'm on a walk with my dogs. I've got a clear mental picture. Please, yeah. please continue. And on that walk, I discovered this artist, Rosalia. I see she's got an album out. And I put on the album. The album starts with a song. It sounds like this. Wow, I've heard Rosalia, but I've never heard this particular track before. And it's, uh, I'm speechless. Right? You hear a young boy reciting something in Spanish, and he's sitting far enough away from the mic that you kind of feel like you're secretly overhearing something. Yeah. It's all very intimate. Um, you don't know who the boy is, but he's like, he's sort of teeing up Rosalia. And then you hear Rosalia's voice come in, and it's soft, but it has this power. Her voice, it's its like slightly whispered, like you can hear the rasp, but it's very pure. And she's got these gorgeous runs, like it's very soft, but so emotive. And I don't know if you noted there's a point in the song where she's singing very softly and then everything escalates. She starts singing with a force that was not in the first part of the song. Her vocal range shoots up as well. In the first part, she's singing in a lower register. And then as it goes on, she's singing. I won't even try and emulate it, but she's singing <laughs> in a much higher register. Totally. Kind of like it picks up and the emotion that she's been keeping in reserve kind of 
bursts out. And then before you know it, she's actually, she's back down again. I have to ask, Nate, before we go any further, do you speak any Spanish? I don't speak any Spanish. Okay. Ich spreche ein bisschen Französisch. Ich kann ein bisschen Deutsch sprechen, but I don't really speak any Spanish. Yeah, that, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah I, I totally, I hear you. Hmm. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Um, yeah, so I speak none of those languages. Maybe a handful of words of Spanish, which means that while she's singing, I don't really understand what's being said. But in the end, I'm in this profoundly different emotional state. And listening to that song on that walk, like I was left with a question. What is a song like this doing? What does music do to cue emotion in you when you can't understand the words being spoken? And I want to acknowledge that the lyrics really represent this huge arc involving different characters that Rosalie is trying on. And that alone could be the subject of a whole other episode. (laughs) So that's not what we're going to talk about today. What we are going to talk about is the way that she conveys emotion in her music um, and the way that she constantly keeps us guessing by switching up rhythms and incorporating some of the traditional elements of flamenco into her pop. Okay, great. And what's the other part? So there's another thing about this song, which is that it kind of seems to float through like without a grounding in time. Yeah. This isn't a, a song where you're really clearly like counting out the downbeats. It's floating. Like I tried to count it out and I couldn't. Yeah. So first thing you want to do is kind of establish the underlying beat, which is confusingly not where the hand claps are mm. occurring. So you want to feel the place where you want to tap your foot or nod your head. But then the question is, once you've established the underlying beat, how do you group those beats into repeating sets of the same amount? And that becomes very challenging here because if you try and count the conventional 4-4 pop meter, one, I don't even know where to start <laughs> it, Megan. It's Watching very, you try to do this is... It's very disorienting. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two. It doesn't, it's... Mm. It, it, it doesn't work. It's like, it's yeah. really like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even get that far when I'm on my dog walk because I'm, I'm walking my dogs. I've got other things on my mind. But I was like totally taken by the complete lack of predictability, mm-hmm. the feel of this song that I'm not grounded in a 4-4 beat. This is not traditional pop. I mean, it's, it's certainly not traditional pop. This song comes off a flamenco album. Yeah. It's this feeling like you're being taken on a journey, right? Like it's yeah. much more poetry than pop music. Yeah. But the crazy thing is that Rosalia, as a lot of listeners might know already, is like is kind of one of the most interesting things happening in pop right now, like yes. in popular music. She's this Spanish flamenco trained pop singer who last year put out an album that fuses traditional flamenco elements, the palmas, those like Spanish rhythmic phrases that Mm, you were hearing in in the song. And she fuses those elements with really modern R&B and hip hop production elements. We're going to hear that in a minute. But she's all over the Billboard dance charts. She's got these songs with like huge Latin artists, J Balvin, Ozuna, her songs Malamente. Con altura. Y por tu, tu por mí. These songs are huge. 
They're racking up like millions and millions, if not billions of views on YouTube. She performed at the VMAs this year. Like she's becoming a household name. So with all that in mind, I did some research. Yes. I, I did a lot of research. Um, and it turns out that the song, Si Tu Supieras Compañero, that we heard earlier, yeah. that you were just trying to count out the beat to, the reasons that it left such an indelible impression on me are so much more complex and interesting than I understood them to be at the time. And they are still really present in the more flamenco and pop-fused music that she's making now. So let's start with a little bit of who Rosalia is. Rosalia grew up in an industrial part of Spain. So it's about 45 minutes outside of Barcelona. And she grew up on a lot of different music, as talented musicians often do. They have a lot of musical influences. Everything from Bruce Springsteen Even if we're just in the to Queen to Bob Marley All right, we're Bjork, who we've talked about on this show wow. Kanye Destiny's Child. All of which you can hear in her music now. But early on, it was actually the sound of flamenco that was really, really inescapable where she lived in Spain. In an interview, she talks about the first time that she heard arguably one of the most, if not the most, famous flamenco singer of all time, whose name is Cameron de la Isla. She says when she heard this, I think she was 13, she says her head exploded. Huh. Um, let's hear Cameron de la Isla. That's extraordinary. I mean, the guitar work alone would probably leave my mind exploded like Rosalia. And then when you add on these vocals that are, I don't know, what's the right word? Impassioned, almost possessed. It's like, it's pretty staggering. Emotive. Yeah. By the time we finish this episode, you're going to have a lot of words to describe uh, love, what you're hearing. I love words. That's, <laughs> that's really exciting. So as the story goes, she hears Cameron and throws herself into learning the art of singing flamenco. She takes flamenco dance classes. She starts listening obsessively to his records. Uh, she starts learning piano. She starts composing music. But the type of singing she's trying to do and that Cameron is doing it's incredibly challenging. Hmm. And at this point, she doesn't have any formal training. So she's actually, when she's trying to sing flamenco, she's actually hurting herself. Huh. You know, all this time, she's tried to pick it up by ear and ended up mimicking it. And she actually damages her vocal cords in the process. So typically, flamenco is picked up when you're a kid. Like, there are families who come up singing flamenco. You hear it from the time you're really little, so it's not a conscious learning process. Rosalie is learning at the age of 13. So it's all just sort of like trying to imitate the people she's yeah. hearing. So she has surgery to repair her vocal cords and recommits to the learning process. But this time, she seeks out professional instruction. So this begins her years of training with this extremely sought-after vocal instructor. His name is Jose Miguel Vizicaya, and he's mostly known as Chiqui. Huh. So Rosalia stays with Chiqui through high school and through her years at a music college called Esmuk. 
it's an acronym. Gotcha. And with him, she learns the true art of singing flamenco. So in 2017, Rosalia finally drops an album. It's called Los Angeles. And the opening track is that song we heard at the start of the episode. In 2018, Rosalia drops a really different record. It still sounds like flamenco, but it's filled with electronic dance beats and these really modern effects that you hear all over the billboard, like autotune, like the underwater effect that Charlie dissected a few episodes back. It's got these really sultry R&B hooks and samples. And actually one of the best illustrations of this change is this song off that album, which is called El Mal Querer, or EMQ for short. And it's the song Baghdad. Right, so what is she doing? She's pairing Spanish lyrics with a bit of the melody off of Cry Me a River. Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake. Cry Me a River, exactly. Wow, what an insight. And I feel like we're going back to her 13-year-old mind. It's like Flamenco and Justin Timberlake bound together in this wonderfully unique package. Totally. It's with this album, EMQ, that we finally get a song called Pienso en tu Mira. I'm struck listening to this how many of her vocal melodies like don't go in ways that I expect from listening to a lot of top 40 pop what I'm loving about this conversation already is seeing how Rosalia like takes so many of the sonic elements of mainstream pop music we've got like a beat we've got these electronic touches like you mentioned we've got swagger and intensity that you expect from a pop star but then there are these elements that like are so surprising and one of those is the the melodies they're not like i don't know we, we, we have to dig into this further but the the sound of her voice and the melody she's singing they just don't do the things i expect from a lot of mainstream pop music totally and the, the thing that sticks out to me you don't hear it as much in this song necessarily as you do with the song we started the episode with but like her voice it's really soft but it drips with feeling. Yeah. A while back, we talked about Kim Petras, right? And how she sings really earnestly. Mm, and it's like, yeah. it's a totally different performance, but another one that is like conveying emotion on yeah. a scale that just grabs you. With every song of hers we've listened to so far, you get the sense that as soon as it's over, she has to like go sleep for five hours just because of like the amount of energy and emotions she has expended. Totally. Which is a really re rewarding listening experience because you, by contrast, can just sit in your you know sofa and get to listen to her do that. And I do. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly what you just named is what we're going to get into. So I actually spoke with somebody who knows a bit more about this than we do. Her name is Marcela Valdez, and she's a contributing writer for the New York Times Magazine. Marcela recently wrote a behemoth profile of Rosalia for the magazine. She's also a flamenco fan herself. And in the piece, she talks about this flamenco styling called duende. And I think it holds the key to understanding what we're hearing in both of these songs. When people write about flamenco, they almost always write about duende in this almost fetishized way, because it is in some ways a kind of mystical concept or mystical experience when you talk about it with people who 
perform flamenco. And so part of my challenge when I was writing about it and trying to express what it is and talking to Chiki and to Rusalia about what it is, is to find a way to express its spiritual dimension without fetishizing it. And I think that it really comes down to this concept of emotional authenticity that's like, as Rosalie explained to me, the way that an actor inhabits a role. Like if you, the actor disappears inside the emotion of the role, what the actor is feeling is real anger or real sorrow. It's not faked. And that that ability to get to that place where you're feeling this emotion in an authentic way comes through in the actor's performance, and it also comes through in somebody's voice. What we're talking about is acting. Right? Yeah, yeah. The performance of authenticity. Exactly. Which is the central, in a lot of ways, also like the, the central compelling almost paradox of, of so much pop music. What do you mean by that? In the sense, the performance of authenticity is what we get in, you know, every Taylor Swift song. Though we might not put her in next to Rosalia as having like similar sounds or styles. There maybe there is something that connects those two, which is like you get up there and you perform these deep emotions in a way that feels like you are experiencing them for the first time. So this concept of duende, right? This very convincing performance, sort of like trying on a set of emotions and really like acting. Literally, right. we're talking about yeah. acting. It's, of course, not Rosalia's invention at all. Like the greatest flamenco artist like Cameron and an artist that Rosalia was particularly influenced by, a woman called La Niña de los Pines, mm. who Marcela also mentions in her piece. Um, they are famous for their interpretation of duende, for their ability to convince you when they're singing of the emotional experience contained within the song. And Rosalia, she may not have invented it, but like she is a master at this. You heard it. Like yeah. she's in she has incredible control of her vocal range. And I don't mean that just in the notes that she can sing. Like I mean that in the way that she manipulates her voice and the way that she employs melisma, which you've talked about a bunch before. Melisma being uh the the practice of singing multiple musical pitches over a single syllable and i do i mean i love this word duende uh, without wanting to take it out of its specifically flamenco context i actually think it's a really powerful way to describe that emotion you get in, in many musical experiences an emotion which is at the outer limits of our technical vocabulary because when it comes to saying not just about like what pitches or what rhythm someone is singing but actually like how they're singing that's when our technical vocabulary starts to fail that's where a term like duende can step in to fill the void which is really awesome yes when i was talking to marcella like and in reading the piece like i remember having this moment of tripping upon a word that I needed so badly yeah. and didn't know I needed. When I'm talking about music, I often find I run into the limits of my vocabulary. You know, we talk a lot about music that sounds warm. Hmm. Like, what does warm sound <laughs> like, right? We're sort of subbing in words that don't actually do a sufficient job to describe what we're talking about. And duende is just one of those terms that like, I'm so grateful I know about now because it gives a name to exactly what you were just saying. Yeah, And it's wild to me to think about all of this because we talk, you and Charlie talk so much about what pop 
artists and producers are doing underneath the performance to bring you into the music and to make songs like this feel like a wild joyride that you want to listen to again and again. And here's this flamenco trained pop singer who is doing that with this very sort of classic genre specific technique that is like happening under our ears right right right. marcella said two things about rosalia singing that really stuck with me she talked about the act of singing um so that it sounds like she's pulling her heart out through her mouth (laughs) wow right so good so good snaps to marcella snaps to marcella like i wish that simile right there that is and when i read that that's like that's exactly where my head was on that dog walk right like i felt like i was witnessing an emotional performance that I hadn't heard before. And the other way she talks about Rosalia's voice is dancing between strength and vulnerability, which I think is spot on and gets at the very heart of what is so convincing about this, that the trajectory of her voice mimics life. Yeah. So many pop songs are just this snapshot in time of the moment you're feeling post-breakup, pre-breakup, like moments of empowerment, moments of sadness and tension and drama. And listening to a Rosalia song is like following along, watching someone like rise and fall and rise and fall. And it is a total dance. And the actual quality of her voice is a dance between strength and vulnerability. Like she's got this really strong core tone that's whispered Mm -hmm, almost. mm -hmm. And um, both of those lines from Marcella, I think are such a perfect encapsulation of Duende and give you like even further language to describe this thing you're hearing. There's there's a really specific moment in that first song, Si Tu Supieras, that I think like is this dance between strength and vulnerability and I want to zero in on it. You can almost hear the recording engineer like grabbing the microphone and being like, whoa, whoa, got to pull that back because otherwise Rosalia is just going to like blow out your speakers. Right. Yeah. I'm curious, Nate, does any of this bring to mind another genre of music, particularly this concept of duende and the emotional performance? A genre of music that explores the notion of duende and has this dance between strength and vulnerability. Play acting, convincing emotional performances, maybe taking on characters. Like a Broadway musical? Getting there. Getting warmer. Maybe, maybe cla- think a little opera. more. Opera. Opera. All nice roads work. lead to opera, I should have known. All yeah. roads lead to opera. When you're talking about vulnerability and strength, there's like such a clear divide in opera between the recitative section, which is very quiet and kind of spoken. And then the aria, which is like loud and intense and virtuosic. And this came up in my conversation with Marcella. She talks to Rosalia's instructor, Chiki, and this was her takeaway. Flamenco and opera. In some ways, they are quite similar in the kind of vocal technical training that's required to perform each of them separately in the way that they value emotion in the voice. But what he said is that in flamenco, we want the earthier sound of the voice, the less processed and prettified Mm -hmm. version of the voice. Very obvious comparison to be made there. 
Then they keep talking, and she finds out that Chiki really actually draws an important line between flamenco and opera in this way. And obviously, he's biased, but he said, opera is like applesauce, and flamenco is like the apple fresh picked from the tree with all Uh. the dust on it (laughs) and the crisp natural taste. And that in flamenco, you value every human sound in the vocal production. And you can hear that in Rosalia's music. There's sometimes she's just going, oh, you know, or she's going, oh. And you, you hear that there's no attempt to erase those kind of little human grunts and sighs. In fact, they're considered part of a valuable vocal vocabulary that you can use in your music. Wow, I'm never going to forget that as long as I live. Opera is the applesauce. Flamenco is the apple. Brava. So you can hear all of that, I think, pretty clearly in Rosalia's rendition of a flamenco classic called Me Quedo Contigo, which she performed recently. I bring all that up to just to show you it's not just that Rosalia is innovating within flamenco and within pop, but there are connections to be made to other very traditional genres that, you know, Rosalia is really like bringing into the pop charts in a way that we haven't seen before. So Rosalia's performance of Duende and incorporating it into these very modern sounding songs, that's just one piece of how she's bringing flamenco to pop. When we get back from the break, we're going to take a slightly more rhythmic approach to all of this. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docuseries, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. (laughs) I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I did it. <laughs> I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you you belong, and I'm telling you you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing, because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course.
Okay, Megan. So, so far we've really been focused on the vocal qualities of Rosalia's voice and especially how it expresses this flamenco concept of duende. But you made me a promise earlier in the episode that we were also going to talk about rhythm and like try and break down why we get this rhythmically disorienting effect when we listen to Rosalia. So, help maybe you can help ground me here. Like is this also something that comes from a flamenco tradition? Well, short answer. Yes. Okay. <laughs> longer answer. Yes, and. <laughs> Good. I like longer answers. So at the top of the episode, we talked about the lack of predictability in her music. That right. feeling that something's shifting mm. from under us. Yeah, totally. And a lot of that has to do with how Rosalia is manipulating the pace and the rhythms in her songs. And actually, I'm going to pull somebody else into this conversation. We recently had a listener write in about this. His name is Steve. And Steve wrote us about the downbeat in Pienso en tu Mira. He says, the downbeat in Pienso en tu Mira feels like it shifts from under me. Could you please explain this phenomenon? <laughs> I'd love to hear from you guys about it. Well, Steve, we're going to try. No promises. No, no promises. First off, let's set some base definitions here so we know what we're working with. And I want to start with time signature. Nate, can you give me like a music theory for dummies version of what time signature is? Happily. Time signature is a term we use interchangeably with meter. And I think actually meter is maybe the term I want to use. because I, I like it because it has um, part of its meaning in its very name, meter, like measuring. Like meter is how you right. measure pulse. So in order to talk about meter, we first need to talk about beat or pulse, which is the idea that 99.9999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999
it's not any longer than that. If you went up to five, six, or more, it would start to like lose its coherence because you would your mind wouldn't be able to wrap around like hearing that many beats in a row before you get a repetition. Right. So like you can you know think think about meter as like shaping how you experience musical temporality. And two beats is like that goes by really fast. That's what you use in like a march, like of John Philip Sousa's Stars and Stripes oh, yeah. Forever My boy, type march. Philip Sousa. Three four. That's what you use in a lot of like waltz time signatures. It's a little a little longer than two beats at a time, and has this sort of like circular whirling motion. Four four. That's a nice you know evenly divisible measure. It's got that length we were talking about that allows you to play around, but also has that four beat, like evenly divisible regularity that makes it like really ideal for a lot of different kind of dance styles. Yeah. Four, four is the Goldilocks porridge. That is just right. Yeah. I like that analogy. And you mentioned this, basically all of pop that we're hearing, maybe say in the last like 70 years of popular music, or perhaps even since the inception of popular music, you know, recorded popular music, is in 4-4, is in common time. There are definitely some notable exceptions to that rule. If you'll recall Kelly Clarkson's Breakaway, that's in 3-4. Okay, I don't need to. That's yep. triple time. That's waltz meter for sure. You'll no. give it to me. Okay, yeah, great. Right? Breakaway's not the only one. Marvin Gaye's Here, My Dear. Alicia Keys' Fallen. Aretha Franklin's I Never Loved a Man. Just a handful of the songs written in 3-4. These songs stand out because our brain is so accustomed to hearing things in 4-4 that when we hear something different, it's like, wait a tick. What's going on here? It's only when you start to break out of traditional American pop music that you start working with some really funky stuff. Mm. Did you by chance catch the time signature of Pienso and Tumira? To be totally transparent, I think that... I do recognize it, but it's only because that listener, Steve, that you mentioned earlier, wrote us an email about this. And so then I was like looking into it and it was kind of blowing my mind. I think without his help, thank you, Steve, I wouldn't have been able to identify the meter of this because, like you said, it's very disorienting and kind of leaves you unmoored rhythmically. Right. So what Steve points out from Marcella's article is that Pienso and Tumira starts in 12-8 time. Um, And you were just saying it's tough to track, um, in part because the phrase of 12 beats, uh, 12 beats in a phrase is a really long time to count and still be in the same phrase relative to what we're used to hearing. Okay, so the song starts in 12-8. What does that mean? Let's actually just break it down in English. Yeah, so 12-8 is the time signature, and it refers to a meter in which you have four beats, and each of them are divided into sets of three. So four times three equals 12. This is requiring me to do slightly more math than I anticipated. And what's kind of cool about this is that you can see it's not that different from four, four time, but there's a big difference because in four, four time, you divide each of the four main beats into two subdivisions. Whereas in 12-8, you divide each of the four beats into three. That, that, that really expands the, the length of each measure, of each repeated group of beats. 
And that's part of what gives us the feeling when we listen to Rosalia of like, whoa, like, where am I here? Right. Trying to place ourselves in the song. Yeah, totally. It's like trying to find your way through a, a... a forest or something you're like wait i'm used to like city streets and all of a sudden i'm in this like wilderness long dog walk in the woods yeah yeah so i i want to really break this down to show you all of the levels on which rosalie is operating because they are crazy to me okay so first like we just mentioned she's written this song pienso en tu mira starts in 12 8 let's hear it and count it out Right? Right? Yeah, man. Yes. Way to break it down. I'm really impressed because you don't have a, in, a music theory background. I do not, unfortunately. But you just nailed that 12-8 time signature. And for those listening at home, I think the key here is to focus in on that moment uh, where you have this electronic kind of like, how do we describe the sound? Bow. 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 It's like, yeah, it's a little electronic hit. That's going to be where you're going to want to start counting each time. So you hear the bounce, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, two, three, bounce, two, three, two, two, three, three, two, three, four, two, three. You were making it even harder because you were counting seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Right, right. I was going all the way. So for starters, we're working in twelve eight. The phrase is really long. It's twelve counts. So when we're used to hearing a pop song and just counting to four and starting over again, we have like two more of those fours to go, and then we're at the end of the phrase. Yeah. And it gives it that sort of like journey feel again that we were talking about earlier. We don't really know where this is going. We think we're going to be done and then it's not mm-hmm. done really lends itself to that sense of unpredictability that we were talking about. Exactly. The second thing happening here is it's an amalgamated rhythm. It's giving you a feeling of playing in one time signature with another one almost playing out underneath it. So so it's, it's sort of like the simultaneous overlapping of time signatures with a beat accent that is shifting in real time. So in the piece, Marcella says that many of these songs have shifting beat accents that are known as amalgamated rhythms, um, which can sound like fused meters. A 3-4, for example, meshed with a 2-4. I love this because this is terminology that is new to me. Amalgamated rhythm. This is, feels like very specific to the world of flamenco. Uh, I issue this next statement with the caveat that I may be misinterpreting this and sure. I need to go hit the books. But I think part of what makes it even kind of further disorienting is that while you can establish that 12-8 rhythm that we just counted off, there's a, a moment in that meter where you expect like a firm downbeat to kind of tell you like, yeah, you're feeling this correctly, but you don't get it. But it doesn't You just come. get silence. And I think that's a really, for our ears at least, that's like a really weird moment. Yeah. I think that's what Steve was identifying. That's definitely, that's yeah. like my, I didn't know that's what I was hearing when I first listened to the song. Let's listen to the to that first section again, and I'll count it out, and you'll you'll hear on what would be the um, seventh beat, where you would expect to have like a little bass drum, maybe reinforcing 
like holding your hand and saying like, yeah, you're, you got this. You got you're feeling this. out all these triplets. You can do it. There's nothing. And there's a moment that's for, for a musician like myself, that's really, it feels like you're falling off a cliff. Right, <laughs> you're like, right. wait, where did that go? All right, let's give it a try. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. There's nothing on that seven. Yeah, like I can hear you emphasizing the seven yeah. to really bring it out, but it's not being reflected in the music. Yeah, it's a very canny rhythmic move because again it like kind of just takes you out of your safety zone yeah rhythmically speaking and i love like that language that marcella uses that steve uses of that beat shifting out from under you it's like you expect it to be there and then all of a sudden it's not it's like trying to step on a stone that's fallen below <laughs> the water like so unnerving yeah. so and cool so, and so and it needs to be said like so hard to do so as a musician hard. because you have to internalize that rhythm so that you don't get thrown off and like go with the bass drum, which is really a decoy bass drum mm. and like trying to throw you off. Right. You have to keep your internal rhythm so sharp that you don't get fooled by that decoy bass. If music theory were a game, yeah. we're sort of like we're leveling up here. Yeah, this is SEAL Team 6. Yeah, SEAL Team 6. Right, Level right, right. Here, yeah. That shifting pulse, that shifting beat, like to me, it's swinging, right? Like it undulates like waves undulate, like waves that like move in and come out and move in almost on top of each other. And that's what lends itself to that unpredictability that we've been talking about, that feeling of like, I don't know where my footing is. Yeah. Um, and I love it. So on top of all of that, here's what Pienso and Tumira is doing. It starts in 12.8, and then we move into a different time signature altogether. Back to 12.8, back to the different time signature, back to 12.8, and I'll show you what I mean. <laughs> And then we're back to 12, 8 again, right? Damn, okay. Megan Lubin coming with the metric science. I'm trying, I I'm trying. It. So what she's doing there is she is switching back and forth between 12, 8 and 10, 8, which is unheard of in popular music. I mean, I hope it goes without saying it's unheard of. And, yeah. you know, 12, 8 to begin with is un unexpected. Yeah, this is this is like if if doing that amalgamated 12, 8 rhythm with the dropout halfway through on the seventh beat was like SEAL Team 6 level sure. musical assassinations. And this is like Jason Bourne level. This oh, yeah. Is like, yeah. Rosalia, Jason Bourne. <laughs> Same person, for sure. It gives you, what does that 12-8 to 10-8 do? It gives you like a power dynamic all of a sudden. There's a push and a pull, a push yeah. and a pull. Um, you sort of got the 12-8 filling in and then 10-8 and you get to like, you don't even have time to take to catch your breath before the 12-8 time signature comes in again. And that to me, I mean, all of this, the themes that we're talking about in so much of this is like swagger, control, yeah. that lack of predictability that leaves us feeling like she's driving the car and we're just along for the ride. And this to me is just like one more example of how she does that. Megan, this is so cool. You were pushing all of my musicological buttons here. We've talked about the the sound of Rosalia's voice, uh, how it comes from this flamenco tradition of duende. We've dug deep into the weeds of her metric manipulations and how those like pleasantly disorient us as consumers of Western pop music. This is very comprehensive, but 
Is there anything else we need to know about Rosalia? Yeah. So Rosalia's surge in popularity has not been without backlash. Marcella writes in her piece that in Spain, there's really legitimate criticism from Spanish Romani gypsies who have um, criticized her for using words of calo um, or calo, <laughs> which is Romani dialect, um, and for kind of like trying on these pronunciations that are not her own, that are not of her own sort of like upbringing and background for appropriating these stylings that are not hers. There are actually even Catalan nationalists who are arguing that she is using her musical platform to win support for their independence movement. So it gets like actually quite political in Spain in a way that I think pop music rarely does in wow. the United States. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and then in the US, there's an accusation of Latinx appropriation that Marcella writes about by critics that Rosalia, a European, should not be up for Latin music awards. Yeah. Marcella had a really pointed take on all of this. I don't think the criticisms are warranted at all. Let's take the Latinx criticism. The song that she got best Latin for at the VMAs is a reggaeton song. Right. It has a reggaeton beat. The beat of reggaeton is from the Caribbean. The Caribbean is part of Latin America. So you saying that a song with a Latin American tradition can't win best Latin? Right. Or are you saying that somebody who's Spanish can't perform a song with a beat that comes from Latin America? And I think that that argument is tremendously short-sighted. With the gypsy appropriation question, I have a bit more sympathy because the truth is that during the dictatorship of Franco in Spain, he tried to wipe out gypsies and specifically he adopted flamenco as an anthem for his nationalistic policies while at the same time trying to erase the gypsies' role in creating flamenco. So I can understand that there are some historic sore points there that have real validity. I don't think that Rosalia is trying to steal flamenco music from gypsies. And I don't think that she was trying to appropriate gypsy culture when she used some Andalusian pronunciations. I don't think it's a fair accusation, really. I'm glad we dug into the more controversial aspects of Rosalia's career. And now that we've both uh, discussed uh, those and her music in depth, I guess I want to bring the two together. Does, does this change the way you listen to Rosalia? Inevitably, yes. Like, I think it's our duty as listeners to have ears wide open. Mm. And when we listen to music by our favorite artists and receive new information about that music, especially when it comes to accusations of appropriation, we should always be willing to hear that. In general, you know, when I like wade into a critique of artists, it kind of just makes me want to know more about that artist. And in this case, this whole conversation, all of the conversations surrounding Rosalia and potential appropriation and the way that she um, is, you know, like all of her training and the fact that she hasn't necessarily, you know, she wasn't born into this space. She chose right, this right, space. Right. It just makes me want to know more about flamenco. Um, it doesn't make me not want to listen to Rosalia. Megan, this has been so much fun. I mean, first of all, you've indulged my passion for metric manipulation. I mean, that I can't thank you enough for that. But then beyond Gladly. that, you've like turned me on to this musical 
tradition that I have always been sort of dimly aware of, but never really explored that much. And it's it's like Rosalie as an artist, I've been listening to a lot, and now I think I have uh, a deeper understanding of of like why I'm enjoying it so much. And I hope our listeners feel the same way. Can we maybe start making a playlist of like some flamenco tracks or something? I'm so glad you asked. We're going to put together a playlist and we're actually going to ask some friends of the show, including Marcella, who are more um, familiar with this music uh, than than we are, yeah. um, to contribute Wise. to that playlist. Yeah. Uh, and if folks have suggestions for who should be on it, send them our way. Switched on Pop is produced by me, Nate Sloan, Charlie Harding, and this episode was produced by our very own Megan Lubin. I want to give a super special shout out to a few people. First, Steve, uh, for writing in about this uh, with exceptional timing right as we were in production for this episode. I want to give huge thanks to Marcella Valdez of the New York Times Magazine for her time and for her incredible wealth of knowledge about Rosalia, flamenco, opera. I so enjoyed our conversation. And I want to give a little special shout out to the Fader music magazine who's been on the Rosalia beat since she first started bubbling up in 2017 and gave us a really incredible bank of information to work from for this. Right on. We'll put a link to Marcella's article in the show notes. Uh, our executive producers are Liz Nelson and Nishat Kerwa. Bridget Armstrong is our amazing producer and Brandon McFarland is our extraordinary editor and engineer. You can find more episodes anywhere you get podcasts, including Spotify and the Apple Podcast app. We are proud members of Vox Media and we'll be back in another week with a fresh new episode. Until then, thanks for listening. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.